Hey humans, how's it going? Susan Ruth here. Thanks for listening to another episode of Hey Human Podcast. This is episode 393, and my guest is Joshua Coombs. Joshua has dedicated his life to acts of kindness. A hairdresser by trade, he began offering street haircuts to the unhoused, and it changed something inside of him for the better. As we all know, when we seek outside of ourselves, it makes us aware that the world is so much bigger, and I think it pulls us out of our darkest places sometimes. Well, he started documenting the stories of each person he gave haircuts to, and he posted those before and after pictures on Instagram using the hashtag, do something for nothing, which inspires others, one hopes, to think about how small gets big. He collected all these stories into a book to raise awareness and inspire others, and the royalties go to charity. And he travels all around the globe to speak about his mission to remind us all that gestures don't need to be grand to make a difference, and vulnerability and human kindness can change the world, little bits by little bits. It was a really excellent conversation. I thought uh, I really enjoyed speaking with Joshua. I'm glad he's out there in the world and inspiring others. And uh, yeah, hope you enjoy it as much as I did. Check out heyhumanpodcast.com for links and to learn more about my guests and the show. Check out susanruth.com to learn more about me and my other artistic endeavors. Follow Susan Ruthism and Hey Human Podcast on social media. Find my albums on Spotify, Apple Music, Amazon Music, wherever you get your music. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thank you for listening. Be well, be kind, be love, take care of each other. Here we go. Joshua Coombs, welcome to Hey Human. Hey, thank you so much for having me. I really appreciate you reaching out to me and yeah, happy to have this conversation. I learned about you through various places, really. I I sort of had seen videos, little clips of you over the past year. And Mm -hmm. then uh, I thought, why have I not reached out to this guy? (laughs) He seems like he's doing the exact kind of work that I want to highlight. So here we are. And I appreciate you taking the time. I know your schedule is busy and that's really cool of you. No, not at all. And actually, you know, I do have some time. Sometimes I'm moving around the world and doing different things um, with quite a busy schedule. But right now, I know it's been a pretty chill start to the year. Um, I'm in Mexico City right now where I'm, I'm living. Yeah, it's a new start, a new chapter. So yeah, it's, it's nice. It's nice to have the time to, to reflect a bit. So yeah, I'm hoping maybe there's some things to share today that might come up from having more time to be still. What made you pick Mexico City? Well, actually, to be honest, it's not somewhere I really kind of picked specifically with any kind of certain idea. Life's just taken me here. Um, I've been in Mexico back and forth for a couple of years. I was in London for about eight, nine years, most of my adult life. And uh, yeah, I think from about 2021, I moved out of London. And um, yeah, naturally, things just sort of took me over this side. I was doing a lot of work in the U.S., I give talks about my work and I say a lot of work. I mean, not paid work, um, just on the street, um, going kind of doing this, doing this work that I do, which I obviously talk more about whilst I'm on the street, um, going out and I work with different grassroots organizations, helping out with, with homelessness in different cities. I've been doing my work. I, I've also, you know, um, I give talks in some schools 
and yeah, Mexico has just been actually part of a um a kind of another part of my work, which I won't go into fully now, but I helped run some retreats as well, which brought me over here. Well, let's get into you from the beginning. Where are you from and what was growing up like? What what shaped you? Sure, yeah. So, well, England, for people who haven't recognized the accent, but um, but I'm, um, I'm from, from the UK, yeah, so I was... You know what, this is, this is going to be a really just very um, authentic part of the podcast here. I'm getting a ring on the buzzer, and I'm going to have to answer this because they're going to keep ringing. Hola. Hola, buenos dias. ¿Cómo está? Sí, pero uh, ahorita uh, estoy ocupado, lo siento. Sí, no, eh, un, un momentito. Gracias. Sorry about that. That's all right. How many languages do you speak? Hey, well, no, that's my tiny bit of Spanish. You heard right there. Anyone who's a native Spanish speaker probably already recognized the mistakes. Um, but yeah, somebody... Uh, um, so I'm, I'm learning a little bit. You know, I mean, obviously being here now, it's really important to um, integrate. And, and yeah, I've, I need a... You know, I'll, uh, give me a couple of years, but I'm starting Spanish. Yeah. Immersion is everything. But anyway, yeah, going back. So um, to go back to your... Exactly. Yeah, going back to your question. So I grew up in the UK and um, <clears throat> in a town called Exeter. Well, actually, it's a city, a small city. And, you know, my upbringing, I grew up in a single parent home. Like my mum, two sisters, grew up in a house full of women. I always think that shaped me in um, a way I'm really grateful for. You know, we didn't have too much, but mum always provided a lot of love. School, you know, this is obviously a nutshell and fast forwarding quite quickly, but it's an important part of my, my journey. Um, School was, yeah, a really difficult experience for me. I went to a very uh, underfunded school and, you know, I had a lot of empathy for the, the setup of that place. Now looking back as an adult and underfunded, tired teachers who were overworked. But for me as a, a young person with later diagnosed ADHD, concentration was a big problem. And, you know, there wasn't really that much in the way of recognizing that at that time. And, um, yeah, you know, I sort of, my way to get through was to, to be liked and try and, you know, be funny and, and turn into a person get sent out of class a lot. The teachers, you know, it came down on me pretty hard for all those things. So I kind of left with a, a bit of a bit of taste in my mouth and a bit of a kind of uh, disposition to sort of figures of authority. And, and you know, I, I left with no qualifications at all from, from school. So high school kind of, I left with this feeling of what the hell am I going to do next? And yeah, thankfully, music came into my life in the form of my auntie give me her old record collection and it kind of really spoke to me. I had a lot of uh, punk records in there from the seventies and that specifically was something that actually just really ignited something in me that um, led me to where I am now because, you know, I, I got a guitar, my mum and my grand shipped in for my birthday for this cheap guitar and I joined a band and found some friends who felt the same. And, you know, for the first sort of seven years leaving school, that was really my life, like different, you know, uh, bands and, and moving around a bit doing that and I didn't actually start cutting hair which is you know was the next journey um, until my mid-20s um, after music and everything finished and I was looking for a, a new start I decided to 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 start hairdressing. Is that something bec that you were drawn to because of the creative aspect of it or was it something that was always in the back of your mind? The, the Honestly I, I feel like it's really important actually because for any hairdressers maybe perhaps listening you know it's 
you know, I think it's an amazing craft and like an incredible industry. But actually, for me, it was it wasn't this like burning desire to get into it and any of those those things that existed in me it was actually just a chance encounter. I walked past the salon one day and um, I saw this guy checking out this this woman's hair outside in the natural light outside of a salon, and there was just this energy I got drew, sort of drawn into in that moment i saw how creative it was for this person and, and i hadn't really thought about it in that way before you know it used to be something that yeah i just hadn't really like even considered it was something at that moment just it's one moment i was like huh, yeah, maybe i could do that like i can, can play guitar how hard can it be you know and now I'm, and actually, you know, it, it was a really humbling experience training to become a hairdresser, especially in my mid-20s. So a week later, I walked into a salon and asked for a chance. And 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 luckily, the owner was saw something in me and put me into this program for a year where I actually didn't get paid. But he gave me the training. So I sort of worked in bars and cafes and stuff outside of that in the spare hours I did have. So I was working a lot of hours for very little money to get this training for the first year. And that really humbled me too. But also the the training experience of becoming a hairdresser. Wow, I was I was just like, yeah, it's, it's actually a really technical thing if you want to you know try and explore that skill and get good at it. But I really liked it straight away. I really felt drawn to it, and you know it was it was it was it was amazing because after I got through that first stage of you know being nervous because obviously you're training and you're working on somebody straight away in their hair and they're looking in the mirror. It's like a it's a very nerve-wracking experience when you haven't cut, in it, cut hair before and, you know, you're so worried you're going to, you know, with wrong, one wrong snip of the scissors, you're going to bring somebody to tears and, 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 you know, ruin their whole world. But um, once I got past that stage, I realized that I was meant for this job because, you know, going back to school, I was the kid who, that was something was always my weakness in school, you know. I was so social. I found it so easy to connect with people around me, you know, um, that was never something I struggled with, but I was using that as my strength instead to, to have these conversations with the people in front of me in, in the chair when they came in to see me. And, you know, sometimes that was chit chat about the weather and holidays or people's happenings in their life. But sometimes people would speak from a deeper level. They'd share from the space of things that were happening in their life, um, challenges and troubles. And, and yeah, that, that was the part of it. I started to really recognize that, that I was really, um, you know, in the right place. It's interesting. Well, first of all, I feel like people that work with hair are really sculptors in, in a lot of ways. It's, it's sort of the same idea of the idea that the sculptor pulls the image out of the stone that's in there. I don't, I don't know about a lot of your, the, the people that you see that are clients, not necessarily folks that are just like, oh my God, thank you for this haircut, but just people that come in and like, I have no idea what to do. You have to tell me what to do because you're the professional. And I don't know. I mean, I've been in a bottle with my hair since I was a kid, calyx and, you know, crowns. And yeah, it can be like that. You know, uh, to be honest, the, the most difficult when somebody comes in that open to like, hey, help me out. What can I do with this? That's a really beautiful platform to be able to build from you know because obviously then you hope you're in the hands of somebody who is a stylist or hairdresser whatever you want to call it who can guide you in the right direction because that's how you should really enter like that consultation when you come into a salon however there's a very different story that used to happen i'm sure it happens a lot around the world which is somebody comes in with a very specific photo of something that they want and it's oh yeah i, I would like i would like this please and it's like well 
there's no possible way I can make you look like that. Not just because that might be some actor or actress, it's nothing to do with beauty or anything like that shallow. It's just, as you said, like you have a very different hair type. Your hair doesn't fall that way. If you want to try and make it look like this, you're going to be doing damage to your hair because maybe you're going to be straightening each and every single day to try and make it look like this. Whatever the, the nuances are of that. So, yes, yeah, sometimes that's always a more difficult conversation when somebody's really fixed on an idea of exactly what they want, but you have to sort of gently tell them, like, yeah, we can try and do a part of that in this way, but it's not going to come out like that. So Every hairdresser in the 90s had to do the Rachel, and I'm sure people are very upset uh, that they didn't look like Jennifer Aniston at the end of it. <laughs> right, exactly, the Rachel from Friends. I think that might have even... Uh, carried through until, you know, even though it wasn't that long ago when I started cutting hair, because what am I, mid 30s, I started mid 20s, yeah, about 10, 10 years ago. I think that was still, people might still ask for that, such an iconic look. But yeah, as you said, I mean, Jennifer Aniston. And then, big, of course, they bring in the photo of her in a prime as well. So she doesn't even look like that anymore. Sure. <laughs> and, and a lot of times it's probably a wig, but that's a whole other story. It's interesting right. to me that, that throughout your life, I get that when we're adults and we look back on our childhood and uh, like you, my experience in school was terrible, but I think it's that thing of as adults, we can empathize with the situation. It doesn't really help the kid that we were and that kid deserved more. Yeah. Yeah. For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I hear you. I hear you. And you know, it's important with any of these things too, as well to, to use them as, experiences to reflect upon to be able to explore to be able to help nurture whatever that part of you that might not have been nurtured that could be a school or childhood experience but then also not to wear it around our neck as a heavy weight you know to to be able to define who we are completely but that takes work you know i mean we've all got our work to do with whatever that is our our karma our life part of the mosaic for sure. Yeah, exactly. You know, and, and, and uh, I think I think that looks different for everybody, you know. So I think the, I think releasing that, being able to work with that, being able to um, align that, you know, that's the thing as well. It's maybe not even releasing it. It's about integrating it, you know, in a way that, that's part of you and, and um, not a distortion in you that's causing kind of an inner conflict. But, yeah, for me, for sure, looking back at school now too as well, I – yeah, I just you just have I have a lot of empathy for the the whole situation, um, and also, yeah, thankfully for me, you know, there's we all have our, uh, our other stuff, our traumas from when we were younger, but that experience wasn't one of those for me in the way that yes, it was very difficult, but it also led me to where I am now, and there's that's a different thing, right? You know, because some of these moments, these challenges, these things you go through, it's how you respond to them. And, you know, whether it defines you in a negative way or it's, it's, it's part of who you are and can propel you or give you the fuel to go on and do what you need to do. And for me, certainly that school experience was, was part of that. But like everybody listening, of course, there's things you, you work through as an adult where you, you know, raw emotions, things that are rooted in you that I've, Certainly, I'm on a journey to do the work too, as well. You know, experiencing negative emotions, habitual patterns, things that that are holding you back in some way, and obviously they're rooted a bit deeper. It's interesting to see the invisible string, though. As a kid, you not being seen, 
really. And then having to perform, be performative to try and be seen. Although I don't, I don't know about you, but for me, I feel like every time I, I put on that, it's, it's a mask, right? So you're not really being seen. You're like, I'm going to be this thing that makes you laugh and it's silly. So you don't actually see or feel the thing that I'm carrying around. And then you go and you become a hairdresser or well, first you do like music, which is another form of helping people see themselves. You know, you listen to music when you can't articulate how you're feeling and it helps you to get that out. And then you become a hairdresser, you help people be seen. And now you see people that are historically unseen that people turn their, their away from. So it's just interesting to see that thread throughout your life. Yeah. You, you know, that's, it feels that way to me now, how you're describing it. I can kind of see that it's all connected and it's all, part of who I am and the expression of some of the things that I might have been through, but also, you know, how I see the world around me and we've all got a unique um, story and perspective on that. And I think that is reflective in maybe the work we do. Of course, if you're tapped into yourself in like an authentic way and, and not, not only that, but also very much dependent on your life circumstances, you know I mean? There's, there's people who are working 60 hour jobs clocking in clocking out into something they really don't enjoy whatsoever but that's because they're struggling putting food on the table for their family they need to they haven't got that that freedom and that choice you know because also that's you know a massive point or two the society we live in and and you know a lot of the time that authenticity and that creative expression within us is muted or like it's yeah i still believe it's within people but it's, it's dormant because culture or wherever you live or the circumstances or the economy, it kind of, yeah, it doesn't allow for that. You know, it stunts that, that growth within us, but yeah, to your, to your question and, and you know, my trajectory, I, uh, sorry to your reflection. I think that, yeah, now I see it as something because for people listening, you know, my work is going out and meeting men and women who are living on the street, experiencing homelessness, the haircut, the way that we spoke about showing up for the person in front of me in the chair and the salon, I go out and do that on the sidewalk somewhere now on the pavement, as I'd say. And, um, yeah, it's, it's a really beautiful experience, even though it comes with a lot of challenges because obviously people are in all kinds of different situations and, you know, those big stigmas that exist from the outside with something like homelessness. Yeah, of course. There are people who, you know, really going through it, whether that be battling substance misuse or severe mental health issues or, you know, just years of, of, of isolation, years of, of just, yeah, of having to fight to survive in a world that's forgotten about them. And of course, I'm not going to sit here and paint everybody as, you know, glorify everyone, but I'm, I can't demonize people in a situation. It's about a place of, equanimity and neutrality with anything in life because there's all kinds of people but i feel like there's a lot of judgment for people experiencing homelessness who are often in like the most vulnerable place and the haircut going out and doing this which started about eight years ago when i was living in london i started going out on the street and doing this with people it became this way for me to to feel more connected to an issue that can seem sometimes overwhelming. I think any of these things from the outside, when you see the statistics, you see it portrayed in a certain light on the news, it feels like it's become normalized, right? It's almost like all these things, it's part of the furniture and it really isn't normal to see people in this situation and cities and countries that have so much. So yeah, going out on cutting hair 
to begin with for people in a situation was just a way for me as an individual to go out and connect with something that felt a bit far away even though I was walking past these people and and yeah through these conversations um I was learning about people's lives and the haircut proved this really cool way to in spending a couple hours with somebody yeah that makeover you know handing somebody the mirror at the end for someone who might not have had the chance to go into a salon or a barbershop for a couple of years it was a really nice moment to see the smiles and people's shoulders lift back a bit higher and sometimes this charisma emerge from somebody who might just be looking down at the ground um and and i thought a lot about that i started sharing these stories and it grew and i called it do something for nothing which is a now broader movement of people doing similar things and the idea was it's not just about, you know, me as a hairdresser and homelessness. It's just about a reminder of something that's fundamental to all of us, which is giving our time to the people around us. Um, you know, that starts with our nuclear family. I know we all have people who we care for and different needs and obviously our, our friends and our social network. But beyond that, what does our broader community look like? You know, um, for me, yeah, that's thinking about people who, in my case, I was walking past on the way to get my train each day to work. So, so yeah, that's kind of how it all started. What was the moment though? I mean, it's one thing to, you have a skill set, obviously, and you're walking past people that could use that skill set. But what was the thing? I'm sure you've told the story a bazillion times, but my listeners haven't heard it. So, but what, what was that thing that when you were on your way to work that you just said, you know what, this is something I'm going to do today. Yeah, that was just a random encounter. Again, like much like how I started hairdressing in the first place. I had my bag with me with scissors and clippers and everything to go and cut somebody's hair outside of work. I'd go and do these home visits with people to get a bit of extra pocket money. And paying rent in London's no easy thing. So it was <laughs> like anywhere you can, you know. Anywhere. Right, exactly. It was just like a good sort of way to, you know, put some money in my pocket to go out and walk, go to the pub at the weekend or whatever I was doing at the time. And um, yeah, so I had all my things with me to go and, and and make this visit to a client's house and I didn't end up going because I saw somebody who was living on the street. Actually, I was waiting for a bus to their place and it was about five minutes until the bus was about to come. And I saw this person outside of a, a supermarket, not just, you know, just next to the bus station. And I do, I, you know, I'd always, when I could, if I had a couple minutes, do those small things. I think so many of us do, which is just, you might have a few bucks to, to give somebody, you might buy somebody a cup of coffee or a sandwich or whatever that is. And yeah, there's just a bit of a moment where I thought, ah, oh, well, I've got my stuff with me. And I think particularly this guy, he had, you know, uh, like his hair had grown out a bit and his beard and quite straggly and clearly he hadn't like had a chance to like to to go in and have that done or whatever probably not you know even on the top hundred things he might need in his life right now because we don't think about that you know he needs so many other things before he's probably thinking about getting his haircut and yeah anyway I just i just i went up and had a chat and just offered him a haircut at the moment i said look i've got my things on me like i'd cut hair and a few back gardens before here and there from friends you know it's quite a mobile thing but not right in like the middle of London. And yeah, and he said yes. And in the moments that followed, it was just, that's where it all changed for me. You know, it was just like, ah, okay. I remember I went back on the bus home and there was this decision to, rather than go and make a hundred quid to 
do this thing for somebody for nothing and, and spend this time with this complete stranger. And I can't tell you how different I felt on the way back. And, um, you know, I had to call my client up and say, oh, yeah, sorry, I can't make it and, you know, make some excuse. But I remember going back home that night and it was like, yeah, just, just whatever that was, it was a small thing. I, I could feel that it activated something in me. It was like, yeah, you can go and, and do this more and meet new people. And I started to do that on days off and whenever I could. And more than anything, it was, it was a connection, Susan, because the haircut really quite quickly, even though it's an important part of it, I realized it's a vehicle and there's so many different things we can go and reach out to another person with. But um, this was a vehicle to, yes, it's a beautiful thing. You know, there's a bit of touch there and some humanity and the, the dignity piece that comes with maybe perhaps a new haircut and feeling fresh. But it was actually just somebody going, hey, how are you? What's What's going on with you? And, you know, sometimes that can last for a few minutes, that conversation. But with the haircut, I wanted to wrap somebody up in a gown and set them on a few extra bits of cardboard. And, you know, they're looking outwards to the street as they were before. But now there's somebody there to listen to them. And, you know, it was amazing the more I did this, the ways that people would open up. And I, I just felt how something I'd almost ignored um, because I think it's not really popular. It's not really, when we think about how we can go out and help people, when we, whilst we live in like a material world where we have quite clear boundaries of what is mine and what is yours, and we're constantly in the frontal lobes of our brain objectifying what is everything, who I am, who you are, yeah, what what we have, my status, your role. It's like the way we sometimes think about helping people is within that material and, and, and within that world of objects. But there's this, there's this part of ourselves that's just, you know, we can give our time. It's like, it's just an inherent part of our being to like have these connections with, with other people around us, to have a sense of community and, I think I've been ignoring that. I, not in my own life with my friends and family, but God, maybe I need to lower my benchmark a bit. Okay, sometimes I was cutting people's hair, but I really just took it to this place where if I can go out and have a conversation with someone and maybe they want to talk for a little while, and could sit with them, not as some helper who's going to come and fix all their life. <laughs> just, just really just going like, hey, how are you? Maybe this feels like something that's important just to, to hang out and chat for a bit. So that really became the kind of the core part of this and it's continued to this day it's the physical touch too i imagine i mean we need that our as a species we need physical touch and for some people they never they have not had that in in god knows how long yeah so just the act of you touching them especially the like the crown you know it's such an energetic part Mm. of the human body oh my god yeah that i imagine that as it's transferring through you, it's doing it through them. It would to see the looks on people's faces when they're seeing themselves in the mirror after that. It's got to be incredibly powerful. Yeah, you know, because if if you get used to people not seeing you, eventually you probably feel like you probably start to question if you're even really there. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it's exactly that. It's exactly that. And then there's the added layer of it's a very different scenario if we're living within nature, outside with the trees, with 
you know, maybe a body of water with like whatever that natural scenario would look like for like indigenous communities who still live in this world, than it is living in the middle of a metropolitan city. And I tell you what, yeah, you, you can get pretty dirty pretty quickly. And, um, and you know, what I'm alluding to or what I'm coming around to here is, is yeah, the, you know, there's a whole added layer of, of people, you know, feeling sometimes so far removed from what other people might be like walking around, clean clothes, clean shower that morning, perfume, whatever it is, your hair done or straight. You might be into a week of not having any access to those things. And like, yeah, you might smell and you might have, you know, certain conditions and, and, and you might just be in like a really difficult position comparatively. And I think that that's another layer, as I said, that, that I think we all have to, you know, it's just, it's just, I have a lot of empathy for every angle of this, you know, but we do have to recognize as humans, like, yeah, God, that who we are from the outside. We all have these little judgments of people on how we think we've got people figured out just by the way they dress or they, they look and, you know, the car they drive and, you know, homelessness is one of those. It's just one of many of, of those where you think, ah, homeless man, homeless woman. And then it's kind of boxed into this place. And yes, that might come with this sort of, ah, I don't know how to interact with this because of, like I said, this person seems in such a different place from me on the outside. And, and you know, I just, I know I meet people sometimes just uh, to keep it on the same point. who just have so much embarrassment around that, you know, people who just like, just, you know, people who might want their haircut who say, yeah, like, I, can I meet you in a couple of days' time? Because, like, I can go and shower first or I've got, like, somewhere I know I can go or whatever. I'm just like, dude, like, not at all. I've uh, here. This is what dry shampoo's for, you know, and spray someone's hair down with water and get the dry shampoo out and whatever. You just, you just, I think I've just got better at all of those things too as well because it's just your senses. That's all it is. Your sense, you know, it's just, my, my ex-girlfriend was a, a nurse and, you know, she you should tell me stories about her job and being in there. And it, it made me think a lot about how, you know, when we're ill and when we're sick and when we're, whether we're like puking and shitting ourselves or whatever it may be, we, we, we turn up to like a doctor or a nurse or a hospital, or whatever, you know, and we expect them to be like, please help fix me. I'm at my worst, you know, I, you know, I'm, and, and there's somebody there to, to do that, hopefully. And, and, you know, I just, I know it's very different, but yeah, just, just whatever, you know, yeah, sometimes I'm in places where it might be a bit of a sensory different kind of experience compared to what I'm used to. But anyway, that's like, you know, not to go too far into all that stuff, because there's also people who will strive and continue to do whatever they can. I hear stories of people going into, you know, gas station toilets and still having a shave and washing up and doing all that stuff. But the point I'm making is, along with being ignored by a lot of society, along with being kind of what can be forgotten about, as you mentioned, it's like, yeah, it can just feel like, are you even really human anymore? Because you're already dehumanized by so much of the judgment that surrounds certain issues. And then if you haven't had that contact, that touch, as you said, yeah, you can really start to, to diminish. So I think those things, which are really important for all of us. I watched a, there was a show that David Eagleman, who's a neuroscientist, did a while back called The Brain. It was a series. 
And he had taken people and put them in MRIs and shown them images of things like, you know, cats or potatoes or tin cans or trees or whatever. And whenever uh, the human brain was seeing animate objects, living things, it would be in one part of the brain. And whenever the brain was shown, the person was shown things like cans or whatever, whatever it is, a shoe, it would light up as an object in the brain. And he showed there's the subjects, uh, pictures of homeless folks and unhomed people, and their brain lit up in the object spot instead of in the human spot. Wow, that's I'd love for you to send me that, please, because that's something I think I will. Yeah, I'd love to reference, and I'll, you know, yeah, yeah. It really got me thinking about how we we're all one tribe, but of course, we spend our lives trying to put ourselves in these tiny little boxes to feel whatever we need to feel in order to get you know get along or go along and usually that means having to make something else smaller or less than to make ourselves feel better for a lot of people not for everybody obviously it got me to thinking about how the folks that walk by people and completely ignore them or look at them as an object i wonder if it's fear ultimately not the fear you would think not the fear of oh, this person might kill me or, you know, come after me or whatever it is. But it's the fear of, that could be me. And because they, they can't touch that spot, they have to objectify. Because it's true, any one of us, my God, especially these days, I feel like, maybe not the uber wealthy or, or whatnot, lucky them. But even that, you don't know a trajectory, a bad sickness. There, uh, there could be anything one step, two step, three step, and you are that person. And I think there's that desensitization, that that need to objectify someone, to turn them into an object, is just our terror of that could be me, without the knowledge of how to look at it that way. Yeah, I think, um, yeah, though I think what you're saying is it resonates so much with me, and I think it's hit onto a really important point with any marginalized group where you're experiencing suffering and what we do in the face of suffering and what we have to do in our brain to compartmentalize it somewhere to, yeah, as you said, like to, rather than interact with it in like an intimate way, pushes pushes it away when it's an object instead of this human heart being in front of you as well this this soul you know this soul beneath all of the 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 things you're seeing from the outside and you know it led me to what you what you were speaking about think about my friend david who's in my book actually and he's the first story within my book somebody who i met in in london and based on what you're saying i'd love to read you a little bit of it if that's okay yeah oh my gosh i would love that yeah, just some of his words, because it really twigged from what you were saying about how I think some the way we fear this from the outside. So David, somebody I met, I've cut his head numerous times, has become a, a really dear friend. When I first met him, he was sleeping on the street outside of London Bridge Station, um, really busy area of, of London. Um, so yeah, here's some of his, his words when I was speaking to him and, and reflect on his situation. He said, it's still surreal for me. 
There's no way I would have seen myself sitting here. No way at all. I've realized how we trick ourselves into believing that we're in total control of our lives, but we're really not. There's so much that can happen to a person that you haven't got any say over or any control over. It's frightening. It can be really frightening. I see people walk past me and I get the odd person with a look of disgust on their face. But mostly I see fear on people's faces because they don't know how you got here and they're scared that they could be here also. Yeah. Wow. So, yeah, you know, it's it's just, it's, it's that, you know, it's that. And, and then I think it's something I'd love to talk about, which is, look, I don't point fingers with any of the work that I do from any angle because I think if I want to really practice principles like empathy, it's not just top down or bottom up. I mean, what I'm trying to say is just for people who are less fortunate, it's also for that person who is their conditioning and is their circumstances and might be that person who is given that look of, oh, homeless person, oh, disgust, you know, that look of disgust or that look of fear because we're all products of our environment. So, to touch on what David's saying or what you what you spoke about, Susan, it's like, yeah, I think the way through that is to is to get better at sitting with what is and also the what I spoke about earlier, which is like the recognition that this thing that we all have, your presence, there's so many different levels to that. And the first level, like you said, when you're in that objectifying and still putting it in boxes, there's a level beneath that, which just takes like a few breaths to get to a few deep breaths and trying to see somebody beyond whatever that is as a soul, as another being, you can, you know, it's, it's a deeper level than still thinking about somebody's story, thinking about, okay, well, maybe I have empathy for this person because they were a child once and they never meant to be here, or maybe they didn't even make any bad decisions. Maybe this happened to them, but that's still in deserving or undeserving or trying to trying to sort of see this as something that's, that's you know, you, you can give your compassion because some somebody, you know, is a, is a victim in some way. But I just like just say to say that, yeah, the way I got and do this work now is just try and see somebody as who they are beneath that, like a soul, another person, and take a few deep breaths and just just be with what is. Because, yeah, that fear of becoming that um, or having to push it away or, as you said, just like having to objectify it because it's something we can't deal with, it's really just you're only a few steps away from changing that and it takes like habitual, like, you know, like anything does to, to recognize that. But next time you're at that you know, that stop sign and there's somebody panhandling next to you, it doesn't even matter if you've got a few bucks or not. Like, wish somebody a good day. Look at them in the eyes, smile at them. But like from a, uh, an authentic place from your heart, like that presence goes like a hell of a long way, even in those like 10 seconds you might have. You might not have the money to give somebody. Same way as whoever that is on that street you're walking by on the way to work. You know, I know we feel like we have to rush to fix whatever it is. Um, but yeah, just, just even eye contact, just, just that in itself and really genuinely greeting somebody and seeing somebody as we spoke about earlier. It's a really good practice to begin with. It is interesting that how you said that, uh, where people decide is deserving of their empathy and compassion, which 
it's a bit backwards, right? Like everybody is deserving, even the worst of us, which is a hard thing. To, it, it's something that I think is one of the main reasons I do this show is because is to remind everyone, including myself, that we are based on our upbringing or what our experiences are, or what's coming down the pike. We are all that person. You can any person, we are them. And that's true for the worst, the very quote unquote worst of us circumstance. It's really deep and beautiful work. You, you mentioned the soul. Are you, are you spiritual? Are you religious? Yeah, no, I'm not. I didn't grow up in any, like, type of any kind of religion. But yeah, I'm definitely at a point in my life where I think 100% I'm, I'm in, I can't not now be in touch with my spirituality with, with um, the, me as Josh and like who I am. And as you said, like I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm in a place in my life. Where, yeah. I just, I can't not recognize that I am only me because like, you know, I took like uh, in Exeter in the UK, I was born in this year to my mom or whatever that is. Like I, I have to look at every single person and recognize that we're all products of our environment. And that if I was in somebody else's shoes, then I'd be in just the same position as they are now. And that's one of the biggest mistakes we make, you know, is thinking and judging somebody else because you're applying all of your conceptual like thinking and all of your what you feel like is your choices um and your your morality onto their situation but you're doing that as you in their mind but you can't do that the game's already that's 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 not how it is you are them with all of their upbringing and their parents and their father and their mother and their um teachings and where they went to school and you know their uh, models of success and and or survival in life at the other end. So yeah, it's 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 that kind of realization I think sets you on a spiritual path because it's it's a path of becoming like non-attached in a way that I think I was attached in, in my life for a long time. Opinions being the biggest one. I I can't stand on the fence and and not advocate for certain issues because they're the things I believe in. And also that might be and sometimes manifest as a certain flag in a in a particular you know um, situation where there's there's all kinds of atrocities happening. But I'm not attaching to that in a way where like it's something something I'm I'm carrying for any particular individual groups of people anymore because of what we're speaking about. Because that realization, once you kind of get to that point, you can't really come back from it, and you still get stuck. Like I still all the time that's part of the conditioning still and, and trying to do the work to sort of be free when you can of that day-to-day -day interaction somebody skipping the queue in front of you somebody driving that car with the music really loud you know might have just grabbed your parking spot or whatever you know all these all these judgments come up they're just like these these things now that you can recognize and you can just go yeah, how far do i do i go with that so yes yeah, of course like a spiritual path like that's that's something that I think for me is now just it's I don't know where it's going, but it's part of this work that I've I've started. Also holistically myself, like looking at my own journey. I think for a long time we do something for nothing. I was 
focused on the other and people I was going to see and realized that I was still carrying a lot myself. You know, I'd have being really vulnerable. I'd have moments where I just carry like a lot of anger, sometimes rage. Sometimes it'd come out not towards any person or in a violent way towards anybody, but real inner rage that I'd feel that I, I felt like I didn't have any healthy outlets for or expressions for them. Trying to analyze where that comes from and, and, and where that existed in me is, you know, part of my journey to work with that because, yeah, you know, and then and, and just habitual ha- patterns that we all have negatively that would play out in my life in certain ways, um, suppressing certain emotions. You know, I, I, even though I was always really passionate about the work that I'd done, whether that be music or cutting hair and that going out in the last seven, eight years on this journey would do something for nothing. I've always been someone who's been really connected to my heart and been able to follow that but yeah there was even part of this journey points where I was really burnt out emotionally and and things I hadn't addressed in myself so yeah part of that for me the last few years the last three years especially has been looking for my own version of what that looks like you know and and that's been for me personally working with with plants and and working with plant medicine and and that's kind of part of the retreats that i help out with now here in Mexico. So yeah, there's like so many different modalities of what that can look like for different people, what medicine is. For some people it's ultra marathon running and exercise. For some people it's it's music. For some people it's art. For some people it might be yeah, particular yeah, ways of ways of addressing certain things um through through plants and plant medicine. So yeah, so that's kind of been a, a big part of, of my journey in the last few years. I'm having a major deja vu right now. It's tripping me out. Uh, oh, wow. <laughs> I can't imagine that, that you would be working again around this crown chakra and also hearing people's experiences and seeing yourself in those experiences as a true empath does and not take, take it on. So I was, I am curious like, how you, how you release all that energy. It, it would be very difficult, I think, for a person to hold all of that all of the time. Well, that's the key piece of it for me, which is, yeah, you you have the cleaning work that you do to, to purify your, yourself. Yeah, that, that helps a lot because becoming a vessel, you know, um, to let stuff come in, but also flow outwards. Yeah, I think for a for a, uh, a good period of time at the beginning, yeah, I think I was taking things on and, and probably carrying them with me. And it's almost like also having an idea that that's a noble thing to do also as well, that there's something that I should do here, which is, well, yeah, I, I, I need to carry in this in some way in my heart where it's like, okay, I'm not in that person's shoes, but at least if I'm constantly like, like thinking about that and that saddens me in some way, then then I'm at least there with them in, in more solidarity in some way. And like that's a natural thing to experience. Our heart goes out to a person. But it doesn't mean you care about it any less if you if you if you don't hold on to that and it to become something that weighs you down also. I know maybe some that might sound callous to someone listening. It might sound like, you know, it's not something that I can really describe, but now when I go out and, and do this, it's not like I care any less, but I've got better at releasing those things and still being there for people in a way that I can show up in those moments. And I'm not some Jekyll and Hyde suddenly 
after I've really been there for somebody, then I'm like, oh, well, that's done. I'm going to have some sociopath, like skip down the street afterwards and listen to my favorite music. You know, I'm not, it's, it's, there's, everyone has their methods, but yes, yeah, certainly the more you can clean, the more you can purify yourself, the more you can be a vessel where things can flow in and flow out. Then yeah, I think that's a, that's a, a big part of this because I've had that question a lot when I give talks, you know, people say like, you know, I'm such an empath, like, I don't know whether I can do this kind of work in the same way because I really take on other people's emotions and, you know, and feelings and, and what that is. And, and, and I understand that completely, but, um, but I think that's what it is. It's just, it's just for me, that's, that had to be part of this. It was like, yeah, when I started, when I first sat in ceremony to do my own work, like, wow, there was a lot of cleaning done there, but really it's only about, it's ultimately about us, you know, it's, we all come with our unique, um, yeah, things to work through in this, this life and our unique path. And, and, you know, you can't do somebody else's, you've got to do your own work and, and, and try and that's where I'm at now, recognizing that the more work I do myself, the better I can be for people around me. Yeah. And I, I mean, I think that we are all on this planet as mirrors for sure, but also as conduits. And I think that occasionally when, when we step in to try and help people, it's from a place of ego. A lot of times, look at me helping this person, look at me being a savior. And it does take work to step away from that and, and really be more, um, like a tube, <laughs> for lack yeah. of a better yeah. word, and it comes in and then it goes out, and you just happen to be the tube in front of the person that needs the tube at the moment. And you know, I think that, that is helpful to. Same, same with all of us. Is that when you're there to help someone, are you there to help them because you feel like it makes you look like a good person, or are you doing it because you're helping them really just release it onward, and then you. You see, you joked about the like, oh, I'm not a sociopath. I don't go about my day and listen to music. But at mm -hmm. the same time, it's like, but yeah, of course you, you can do that because you're not you're not taking it on and you were there as the tube and then you get to keep living your life. Well, yeah, and don't get me wrong, talking about music in the way that I did, like sometimes I'll definitely stick on some tunes and some music right there when I've got somebody's head to raise the vibration because also sometimes it's okay to recognize that like you said, intention is everything. Of course, you want to go out for the right reasons. And the right reasons are to just to, to be, just to show up and without attaching to the outcome of that. And also, yeah, as you said, like the intention of being, well, I'm going to go out and do this because I'm going to be the, the hero of this story. I'm going to be the, the star of this show because I am helping. Look at me, you know, that's obviously... Well, you're going to get found out pretty quickly as well. Not not because, like, I'm not saying whether you're showing that to the world, but more by the person in front of you. But, you know, what I was saying a second ago about the music and raising the vibration too as well is an important piece in that as well. Because if I was in this situation, I certainly wouldn't want somebody, you know, I mean, don't get me wrong, as desperate as life can be. And I've been to, and this isn't some list of, well, the places I've been and such you know, terrible situations, but it's like, yeah, you know, I've been to, to refugee camps as well and, and places where you have entire families who are in just in limbo and, and, and have been through just immense amounts of hardships that I would 
probably never have any experiences in my life comparatively to the depth and level of of yeah just how how, how what detriment I would have on on the human spirit and the soul and it's like of course I need to focus and have empathy on that and, and approach that with such like such a de- in such a delicate way and in a gentle way because you have to show up and try and connect with somebody and and, and feel what they're feeling but also it's important to not just focus on the dark clouds, like to try and bring a little bit of that, that blue sky and, and not me as some savior, but just in a situation that God, you just helping somebody laugh, smile, feel into their heart again, not just feel the experience they're experiencing. So what I'm saying is, you know, when I'm in this situation, I also, I'm not just, Yes, I hear about people's stories, but it's not some question of, okay, I really, I've got to hear about all the stuff that happened to you. Like, tell me about your childhood. Tell me about how awful it was. Tell me about what happened. Did you lose your job? Yeah, okay, those things come up. Of course they do. And somebody wants to release those things when they want to. But it's also like, hey, what's your favorite music? What's your, what's your, what are you into? What's your favorite movie? What you, you know, and, and you notice there's this change in somebody where like, oh, I, oh yeah, actually, like I like this, and I'm into this. And then what happens is you see somebody come into who they are, who they are beyond just their traumas and all the stuff that's happened to them, and what their interests, what make them tick, what makes them tick. You know, what's um, yeah, I think those things are just as important as anything else in that moment because um, yeah, God, it's it's beautiful, it's beautiful to it be anything, you know. And, sports people doing all kinds of amazing work with with art therapy music therapy sports programs um you know whatever any of the arts dance getting people's bodies moving endorphins going ah like it's an important piece of all of this like yes it's, it's horrible to to see what how 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 terrible like this life can be in and how much People are really going through such tremendous pain. Um, but then I also have to say part of my work too as well is also getting a, a glimpse of some really amazing people doing amazing things um, with the tools they have and the skills they have. And, and yeah, how how incredible that is for some people who participate in these programs to, to get to a new place. Last time I was in LA, you know, I was like, yeah, just at this ceremony for like some people who've been through an art program with a mission there and like just talking about how much it like literally changed their life. Like, you know, being able to put paint to canvas to, to sort of express some of this stuff just from a, from a deep place within them through their creativity. Um, yeah, it's not everything, but it's certainly like a, an incredible platform for some people to heal. Yeah. Are you doing, is it ayahuasca medicine? Yes, it is. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's, yeah. <laughs> it makes you giggle. <laughs> are you, are you weirded yeah. out by me asking that? <laughs> no, I'm, I'm really happy to, to talk about it. It's just funny that like, you know, there's a lot of different plants you can, you can work with, but I guess that is probably. It felt like ayahuasca. Yeah. Do you want to talk about that at all? About that work? Yeah, of, co- of course. I'd love to. Yes, yeah, so first, my first 
sitting in, in ceremony was in Peru. It was in 20, was about three years ago now. Um, I visited a healing center there. I think like a lot of people, I'd heard this word, Alaska, and, you know, becoming more popular and, you know, the West and hearing about some people's experiences. I'd even heard about some people who'd had them in some flat in London with somebody practicing it somewhere, but that was never my idea of what the experience I wanted to have just because for me, I, I, I wanted to get close to whatever this was in a more authentic way. And, and that's not to judge anybody. It's just that, yeah, you know, I, from what I had heard about this, this was a really powerful medicine. And um, thankfully I knew somebody, honestly, it wouldn't have happened if I didn't have a bridge into this world. I think I'd spent, I just, I, I think to take people back to it, the reason why is, well, why is somebody called to this experience? Well, like, any possible number of thousands of reasons but it usually feels like through sharing lots of experiences with other, other people now that something's got to give like these whatever it is that's been laboring you in some way um that's having you know negative consequences in your life like you need to make a change and it's not always a last resort for people but yeah for me i was experiencing like quite often like these these periods of depression um and you know in visiting the doctor in london and being prescribed like ssris and antidepressants i i never started taking them because i just felt like through this 10 minute appointment i had with the doctor i was like well i haven't even began where i think where these roots of what this is might be i didn't even really know at the time but looking at this packet of pills like this doesn't feel like the answer for me so that's when i started researching about this and and yeah and as i mentioned i had a bridge with somebody who my friend she'd been working with um a family in in peru and she'd been sort of going down there um relatively often so i had like thankfully like a a, a place to go um that i already trusted through somebody I, I really trusted and that's a big part of it because i think if i was just googling online it can be like anything hard to to feel or touch it from far away and yeah and, and i actually took part in a my first experience was a plant dieta which involved like a two-week um program which had four ceremonies at the end of it but also was quite a purifying detoxifying process for the body where i you know there was fasting involved for a certain amount of days also like purgative processes with other plants that they use in the amazon and yeah susan it's just like wow just like nothing i've ever done in my life it was not only the the physical side of, of that purifying that i after probably quite a few consistent number of years drinking not like terribly but like you know in london being part of a social scene where my way to blow off steam was usually going out and having quite a few drinks and recreational drugs might be part of that at the weekend as well. So yeah, there was a purifying process there that happened, but also it's the first time because you're kind of in isolation a lot with your own thoughts, you know, and sat in your kind of little cabin, this little wooden structure in the jungle. And it was like, wow, the first time being able to really sit with myself like that since I was a kid, do I just be present with, with, with everything and and then of course the ceremonies with ayahuasca to, to wrap that up obviously that's a whole conversation a whole podcast in itself but yeah just just my first couple of ceremonies were incredibly 
challenging. Like when people talk about working with this medicine, obviously there's the visionary space and what you might see, but somatically as well, what you're feeling and um, working with the Shipibo tradition specifically, there's obviously just for people who are new to this and hearing this for the first time, you know, there's, there's so many different tribes and different cultures, countries, indigenous tribes who have worked with, with ayahuasca for obviously many, many years. Um, the Shipibo method is, it's actually done this really kind of very much the work is like inner work you're on your own mat um it's not so it's in, in darkness it's in the evening obviously there's different ways of, of practicing this medicine but it's about drinking the cup of ayahuasca going back to sit on your mat but then the maestros the healers uh the shaman you know whatever you want to call it they use their ikaros which is their song to to basically use this sound technology to go around and sing to each person and with these ikaros is where the work is really done to to penetrate within the the pasajero like the passenger in english and anyway you know through those first couple of ceremonies where you sit and you drink your cup and you go back down and you sit you're taken on a journey and those yeah those first few ceremonies as i said it's not easy work it can be really deep and sometimes really intense um but i found so much clarity as well to where some of these things were rooted within me and um what that does is then it kind of clears the path for you to be able to to start you know moving forward and, and working on these things and since i've worked with the medicine a lot i've helped start to facilitate for others and these retreats were running to try and bridge the world from that family i started to work with and that healing center in peru called mezzanete to mexico as well which is a bit easier for some people from the US who haven't got the ability to go all the way down to the Peru. It's a big trek. It's a long way, you know, to get to right where their center is. So, yeah. So, you know, of course I could speak around my experience, but I think that's another thing for another time. But all I can say is, yeah, it's not this cure-all pill. It's certainly not something where you, you, you like nothing in life. You know, there's nothing you can do. that's going to just suddenly give you everything you need. But for me, it was really powerful tool and has still been in my life to, to continue this work to, con to continue to get more clarity um to to release as we said you know people talk about like healing and that's definitely part of this but for me now i think about it more like purifying you know what i mean it's about like we all come into this life with our unique karma and we all come obviously with our life experiences and you know, especially some of the people I meet circling back to people who are living on the street, like, wow, sometimes I speak to people who from such an early age, um, in their formative years from such a young person have been through so much and that looks different for everybody. But yeah, this, this work along with many other different, like, as I mentioned earlier, what medicine looks like for different people just to try and try and purify to get to the essence of who we are. Cause I think underneath there is like this light still in all of us but it's sometimes just got a lot of these really heavy layers and patterns and life that's been built on top of it um, yeah what do you think you were angry about do you think it was just a, really around the state of the world at large or something deeper and older uh no i think like a lot of us you know we're hanging that on like our you know it's 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 not hanging out on people to blame anybody but yeah i think that came from the people around me um uh my upbringing um my my grandmother she's she's one of the angriest 
people I've I've met in my life, she's still alive, but you know, she yeah, and I love her to pieces. But my mum's upbringing was was very difficult. They had a very tumultuous childhood. Her and my auntie, there's a lot of yeah, there was a lot of verbal and psychological kind of abuse there, and sometimes manifested in in other ways, but not so much physically. And um, yeah, and then I think you know my relationship with my father as well, which is like sometimes just like. I've worked on a lot and really, really have so much peace and clarity around that and really love him. Um, but he's not somebody I grew up with. It was always somebody who I never really had that feeling of feeling very connected to in a paternal way of, of this man who's who's somebody I'm close to, who's my dad, who I'd see in other ways that when I was growing up and other kids and sons and dads who would tell each other they love each other and hug each other not all the time but i'd catch these moments and i'd be like oh yeah it really doesn't feel like like the relationship i have but you know somebody i've got to know very well and and also has been there for me a lot in my adult life and and now who i do give a hug when i see him and and i've really yeah i've really kind of like come to terms with all that but you know yeah he's somebody who too like through you know, moments I have memories of just there was, there was, I think there's just been a lot of anger that carried through from different ways from, from the generation before me. So no, I think, I think it's, it's more, that's what I was, when I was speaking about earlier, I didn't really know where this existed. And it's more finding the roots and clarity on that stuff to be able to work through. It was wrapped up deeper than just, oh, I'm really pissed off at the world, you know, and I'm really angry at the world, which is not, which is also really valid, but, um, no, these, this was something that was like, felt like programmed in me in like a kind of deep way from probably experiences that I had had. Well, I, I believe in generational trauma and DNA holding on to that. So, uh, you know, and I mean, to both things that you said, we are all passengers and we are all trying to find home. All of us. It isn't a roof over the head. That's not, that's not home. And I think, you know, 8 billion people who are desperately lonely, so lonely, this planet, mm-hmm. yeah. because we, we don't know where home is. And we all feel like, I think at some point or another, um, disenfranchised from the source. 100%. Yeah. And, you know, just what came up for me there is, is in speaking about those relationships with you know, those immediate attachment bonds we make as babies, as toddlers, our mums, our dads, whoever that is, if those are fractured and fragmented, we'll, so you can search for a whole life to try and find home if you're looking at it through that lens still of where you came from, you know, that town in Michigan born to this family of Charles and Mary who were this these were their jobs and this was their religion or whatever it was and and if if you had a difficult home life wow are you odds with the world because your home how your conceptual home was was broken was damaged in some way and and that can be a never-ending search for people and that's why I really do believe I know that some people it's a fucking privilege excuse my language to have the time to to work yeah to work on it's just probably i think 
really important to touch on the fact that it is a privilege to, to, to be able to address these things, to be able to have the time, the energy, to have the opportunity to even be able to do this when so many people forget it. Like the reason my mum and the reason why a lot of my mum's traumas have manifested in illness now, she's been, she's about 10 years into CFS and the chronic fatigue syndrome, which is really taken her to a point of about, you know, being able to utilize about 30% of her life force energy vitality that she would usually be able to. It's been a very damaging thing for her and because she was a single mom with three kids by the time she was 24. Mm. And when my younger sister left home, these things started. While she was no longer a mother, no longer had that responsibility or that role to be strong for the other people around her, this, this illness began mm. because it's the, all these things that were unaddressed within her and her, her upbringing. Yes, it's, it's an absolute privilege to be able to work on these things. So take my mum, for instance. She didn't have the privilege at my age to be able to work through these things before she had kids. She was already doing life as people who are struggling full-time working uh, jobs in the West, minimum wage, or you know, barely, barely making bread, or people who are in the middle of a war right now, people who are suffering to such tremendous atrocities, you know, got it. The hope is that they might have the right kind of care in the future. But I mean, as if that's going to happen for thousands and thousands of people who've been through so much. So the point I'm making is, yes, it's an absolute privilege. However, my belief is to, as individuals, to be able to work on ourselves in generationally, as we spoke about, to be able to work through, to go back to whatever our home environment was, our parents. If you've got stuff wrapped up in that, yeah, it's it's if you have the opportunity to work through that stuff, that's where you can you can liberate yourself to, I think, hopefully find the, the home within yourself, the home within your heart, the home within your soul, this being, you know, being being able to be comfortable within yourself where you are right now. That's a difficult journey, but it's um, something that I, I definitely feel like a massive privilege to be able to have worked on myself. Yeah, it's beautiful. I ayahuasca is definitely on my. Uh, I was all set up to do that actually last year, and then uh, the the program fell through. The woman that was running it, something happened, and you know I believe that timing is divine, so it, it wasn't right. And then it turned out I ended up getting COVID during the week I was supposed to be there. So I was like, oh, I guess it's all supposed to be, but this it's is... definitely on my list. I think. Yeah. I feel so drawn to that medicine that, uh, but I have not yet experienced it. So it's definitely on the list. Well, it's, yeah. And it's like you said, it's something that you have to, um, yeah, you can't force it. That's for sure. That's the best way of describing it. You have to, I know it sounds very blah, blah, like to, oh, you have to feel called to it, but no, it just, it has to, yeah, of course it's something that it's not like any, it's like an invention. It's not easy work. Of course it can be all, geometric beautiful colorful patterns and and love and all those things but it, it's if you work on the right shaman they you're working with the right maestro like they're going to open the basement doors and you've got to be ready for that because that's embarking on a journey to to heal to 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 be yeah to, to make a change so yeah but but i know there'll be people who who are ready for that and, and in which case 
you know, fantastic. There's, there's, it's an amazing, it's an amazing tool for people to, to do those things. And that medicine really called to me. And that's what I've been working with. And, you know, shameless plug, if anyone is listening, you know, I can put you in, you know, I'm actually part of a team who does run retreats in Mexico. So feel free to, to get in touch. But I want information about it. I'm curious. Yeah, of course. And, and, you know, the great thing about this work is it's beautiful because there is no sales pitch because we, we, we have Zoom intake calls with people and it's got to be the right fit for both parties. It's not like, well, here's what we've got for you. And to be really honest, yeah, the overheads are, a bit high it's a beautiful retreat center on the coast pacific coast of mexico it's like you know it was certainly isn't the setting that i had my first Alaska experience you know um it's it's a really nice place but it's you know for us it's not about bringing people in for that side of it it's it's got to be a good fit because it's completely irresponsible to bring somebody in if it's not the right time for them and you don't feel that synergy it's not about elitist and there's the door that we open for you if you're the right candidate no it's just a it's a conversation but yeah if there's you know of course we can i can send you the information and you know we can talk about it it's really big work and it makes sense that fasting is a is a part of it because i do think again for passengers in a vessel to get to get the passenger to sort of let go of the vessel you have to empty it out, as which I, I know that I, I, having not done it, but just having talked to people that have that, mm-hmm. you know, you throw up, you poop, you do all these things. Like the vessel is like, nope, get rid of all the stuff. So all you're left with is the passenger. Exactly. And, you know, the, the thing with the, the, the plant dieta program I did in Peru, that is more vigorous. Like you do go through like those fasting things with our programs in working with Alaska and Mexico. I mean, no, there's no fasting per se before but there's definitely pre-diet restrictions and as you said that's exactly for the reasons that, that you stated which is yeah the more you can you can cleanse to to receive the medicine in a, like in a way where you are just a vessel the like anything in life you know you're gonna actually you can get up with just food i mean i don't know anybody who's who's given up sugar or salt or oil for a little period of time that first moment you have it again wow you're just you're there <laughs> you're with it you're conscious you know this is like oh my god this is amazing it's the but best it's like any- trip i've ever had <laughs> right exactly so it's just like it makes sense because you're in a place to receive it where you yeah you've like you've you've, you've cleansed and and um that's a an important part of it for me as well as a weird byproduct like honestly my diet has improved immensely which i wasn't really it wasn't my intention going into any of these experiences but my relationship with food like don't get me wrong i still like i still love the finer things in life and i still love and enjoy those kinds of foods i did but the difference is i used to have moments in my life where and this was related to you know again patterns and different things but yeah when i pulled that pin when i threw that grenade and i like things went off i could I could eat five slices of pizza. I didn't know when to stop. You know what I mean? I could just keep going. I could, I could go, I could go off food. I'd make myself, I just eat until I was like, oh, this is the, I, I, now I feel awful, you know? It's, but now it's just, so those things are weird byproducts of working with these different things because it does, you reevaluate your relationship with whatever that is, you know, whether it be food or alcohol or, yeah like anything anything you know anything that that unconsciously you're reaching for 
um, uh, yeah. So. Yeah, and much of life is unconscious. You walk around, you know, you're on your phone, you eat your food real mm-hmm. fast, you're standing up over the sink, and well, you know, whatever yeah. it is. But mindfully doing anything changes everything. Oh, exactly. Like if I'm gonna, I still eat a brownie, but I'm gonna enjoy that brownie. Enjoy. I'm not gonna do that while scrolling on my phone now. You know. Yeah. Right. Yeah. <laughs> It is an interesting, it's just a tiny shift. It makes all the difference. And really feeling what it does. Uh, I feel like I talked to you for hours. There's like so many things. And I'm well aware that, you know, your time is valuable. So tell people how, you're you're an incredible human, a lovely human. I'm glad you are out in the world doing your work. I think it's so important. And I think it also by hearing stories from people like you and then get uh, facilitates permission for other people to do the same who think maybe, Oh, what, what good am I? Or what, what will that do? Well, it's a lot. One thing, one moment, one look, one smile, one hello, whatever it is, one just tip of the head. It's all monumental for someone who has never received that or seldom receives that. So. Yeah, and then that's a, a beautiful reflection to like summarize it all for me. That really is is the message, you know. It's it's you know I I think the reason I talk about my work and and put it out there too as well is it's it's to get deeper and explore things like that, which is just yeah. We can look about the world and helping people and what that looks like, and you see something like homelessness, and yeah, like of course I am we need change real change what that looks like for the future i'm somebody of course who advocates for those things and i know that we have to work within certain systems to do that but as you said like as an individual how do we walk out into the world each day like how do we show up how do we you know live that message you know and it's it's it's, that's really what it is it's about sort of living it's like okay what are my everyone's different what are my my passions what are the things that i I want to try and contribute to and each day is and you like I said like you're going to slip up and and and, and also you're going to need time to chill and watch Netflix and eat ice cream and do whatever you need to do but it's it's like when you you're feeling that it's about I think a big part of this work for me is transitioning where they want us to be which is unconscious scrolling doom scrolling on social media feeling helpless, feeling overwhelmed, division, polarization of one another in this time. It's like, that's exactly where they want us to be. And sure, you can do your life and do do all those things. And and that, I understand safety there is collecting and having what you need and security and locks down in your car and all that stuff, or whatever that looks like, just accumulating what you need for yourself. But yeah, that's, that's just transitioning that feeling into positive kind of like flow of what your what your message is and i think yeah to, to finish that off what i'd say is yeah to just agree with what you're saying which is just it can start so small it can start so small like really for me when i go out and i do this work it's not always haircuts and going out of my bag it's it's just trying to be present with with that cashier who's who's at the supermarket and say hi and and give them a smile or you know it's amazing how you can wake people up from the slumber of like this robotic kind of what can feel like just 
grind of the city you live in with just a breath of spirit and a breath of like presence in those moments. So that's how I think, yeah, I'd recommend starting whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. Tell people how they might find you. So yeah, uh, if you want to know more about the work that I do, the book's a great way um, of meeting some of the people that I'd see. Oh yeah, I think my headphones ran out of battery last oh, minute. Can you? That's okay. All okay. right, cool. Um, so do something for nothing is the book. You can have a look at that um, on Instagram. It's my name, Joshua Coombs. That's where I share more about my work and stories of people I've met. And I'll put links on HeyHumanPodcast.com uh, so that everybody can find things easily. Thank you so much. Thanks so much. Thank you. Oh, yeah. And, and the retreats and the stuff, the work I do with the medicine is, is the retreat center. It's called Metsanete. So M-E-T-S-A-N-E-T-E, Metsanete. But yeah, we can, I can send you the link for that. But no, honestly, Susan, it's been so, so lovely to, to chat with you. I've really, really enjoyed our conversation. So thank you so much for having me. Same as well. And if you ever find yourself in LA, I'm in Santa Monica. So we'll go Oh, ahead. there you go. Well, next time I'm there, we'll have to, we'll have to say hello. Yeah, we'll grab coffee and, and be mindful. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Thank you for listening, everybody. Bye. Thanks, Susan. Have a good day. Take care. Bye-bye. See ya. Bye. Cheers. Rate, review, and subscribe to Hey Human Podcast on iTunes or wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks. Bye.